Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we're opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. We're so glad to have each of you with us every month on Fridays when we do our podcast. We try to theme it. And so we've got a theme that we want to walk through the month of October here with you, and we need you to get your Bible, put on your thinking cap, because we're going to just kind of lower the bucket a little bit in the whale here and talk about some deeper things here. We want to talk about Matthew chapter 24, and we're entirely in this, a look at Matthew chapter 24. And it's a chapter that, that has lots of uh, concern for lots of people. Some people see this as the destruction of Jerusalem. Some see this as the second coming of Jesus. Some see it as both. And some don't know what to see. And so, <laughs> and so what Jason and I want to do is we want to kind of begin, first of all, with a 32,000 foot view today. And then in the next few weeks, Lord willing, we want to just kind of walk through this and carefully look at this and to learn some things together about this. We, we know this, that as this chapter begins, Jesus is leaving the temple. And we're going to touch upon that here in just a minute. There's several chapters before this where Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And this is his last time as he's coming to Jerusalem. So now he leaves the temple and the disciples are kind of pointing out how beautiful this big temple is. And then Jesus talks about how one stone will not be upon another. And that creates all kinds of questions and curiosity in their minds. And they start asking some questions. And so the question for us before us is, what is the answer that Jesus gives as we walk through this? Now, just to look at the chapter as an overview, we notice that there are several serious warnings or admonitions Jesus gives to his disciples. He says early into this in verse 4, see to it that no one misleads you. And that that even holds true to us today. In verse 6, he would say, see to it that you're not frightened. And then in verse 32, he would say, now learn the parable from the fig tree. And then he would say in verse 42, therefore be on the alert. So throughout this chapter, Jesus is, is dropping some warning signs to his disciples. And it's kind of like when you and I are driving along the road and some, some warning signs pop up. You got, you got to pay attention. Put both hands on the wheel. Watch what you're doing. And that's kind of what the Lord's doing here to his disciples. Now, running through this is the statement, the coming of the Son of Man or the coming of the Lord. He would say that in verse 27, just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Again in verse 42, be on the alert for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. And then verse 44, for this reason you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not think he will. Now, it's real easy for us just to come up with one answer. Well, the coming of the Lord means second coming of Jesus. But we we must keep in mind how the Bible uses that phrase. And as Jesus quotes from the book of Daniel in this section here, we got to see how that phrase is used in the Old Testament. And it doesn't always mean the second coming of Jesus. And we'll, we'll unlayer that here as we kind of keep going in our, in our study here. But Jason, let me ask you right off the bat here, uh, why is there so much emphasis here upon the temple? 
Yeah, uh, if you have a Bible open and want to take just a brief detour with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, I think there are a few verses that would really help us along those lines. This is early on in Jesus's ministry in John's gospel, and we won't take the time to read the entire thing. You can see in verse 13 that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and this is where in the temple he sees those who are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers are there. He drives them out, right? He cleanses this temple I would draw your attention to verse 17, where his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That was written in what we know as Psalm 69, verse 9, a Psalm of David. But even just that phrase, your house, speaking of God, what was the temple? It was regarded by the descendants of Abraham as the house of God. And Jesus has come in and made a ruckus. In the very next verse, there are people who say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Listen, especially to verse 20. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? We know in Jerusalem there had been more than one temple, right? All the way back in the days of Solomon, there was the first temple sometimes described as the Temple of Solomon, right? That was what stood until the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Uh, If you've been following along in our daily Bible reading schedule, we recently passed through Ezra and Nehemiah, where you can read all about the rebuilding of a second temple. It it paled in comparison to the to the first one, right? But now there's another building project that we've just read about. This was commonly described as Herod's temple, right? Herod the Great, that obviously plays a major role early in the life of Jesus. It's Herod the Great who tries to eliminate this so-called king of the Jews by ordering that all baby male children two years old and younger be killed. Herod the Great had gone on this great building project. It was 46 years in the making. In fact, that whole complex around the temple wouldn't be completed until 66 AD, just four years before Rome comes in and knocks it all down. And so it is a precious piece of real estate to the Jewish people, but it also, from a a religious point of view, this was to be the very house of God. So, so for our listeners, just to get further understanding, should it, when I read the temple here, and as we go through this in Matthew 24, we're going to be reading a lot about that. So in my mind, should I be thinking about you know just one of our church buildings? No, 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 no. This was a spectacular building. You can read all about um, in in uh, the the kings, the chronicles, this historical uh, description of what Solomon builds. This wasn't just a house, and it most certainly wasn't like a church building. This was a place 
it's really modeled on a much more grand scale after the the tabernacle, right? There was a holy place where the priests could come in. There was a most holy place, even deeper, where just the high priest once a year could go in. This was the epicenter of meeting God and God dwelling among his people. And I think that's a, that's a key point we have to understand. You know, when we read Acts 2 and Peter's preaching that sermon at Pentecost, you got all those Jews who've come to Jerusalem. They come to Jerusalem. They come to where the temple is. Yeah. It was a center of sacrifice. It was a center of, of really uh, where God was. And so the temple represented the home and the heart of the Jewish religion. And so for word to come out that the temple might be destroyed, uh, it, it's like, well, where's God going to be? And where do we go? And is this the abandonment of all things? And so, so the, the, this is major, you know, in, in our times today, uh, churches add on, churches close, churches sell buildings, churches build new buildings. You know, that, that's just common all the time. There was one temple. And if this temple was no longer there, what would the Jews do? Yeah. So, so this, this, we need to begin by seeing how significant this is and how, how this was a center and the core of the Jewish faith. And so when we go back to Matthew chapter 21, leading up to chapter 24, yeah. we find in verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple. And this is the second time this takes place. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And then for the next three chapters, he's in this temple teaching. And so let's just kind of walk through what takes place. Yeah. If you want to understand Matthew 24, you really need to back up to Matthew 21. I mean, we obviously are not going to take the time to read all of this, but at the beginning of Matthew 21 is where Jesus makes his entrance into Jerusalem. And it's significant. He is referred to as using Zechariah chapter 9, your king, your king is coming to you. That king goes into the temple, Roger, like you brought up, and what does he say? It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, quoting from Isaiah 56. So already with those having eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus has been referred to as the long-awaited king. This is my house. And then in the morning, Matthew chapter 21, verse 18, as he's returning to the city, he comes to a fig tree. Now, Roger, we're going to need to remember that fig tree because it's going to come back up in future discussions right there in Matthew 24. But Jesus comes to a fig tree that is unfruitful and curses that fig tree. He goes into the temple in Matthew 21, verse 23. Immediately, his authority is challenged. Who, who do you think you are coming in here? And in response, Jesus tells some parables. He begins in verse 28 telling the parable of the two sons. Um, I'm guessing our listeners have heard this many times before, right? A father has two sons. He tells them both go out and work in the vineyard. One says, I'll go, but doesn't. One says, nope, I'm not going to go. But then he changes his mind. And Jesus connects this to the kingdom. There are 
prostitutes and tax collectors who for a long time have said no to God, but now they're turning, they're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, whereas some of the religious elites who, at least in their own mind, are saying, well, we're absolutely in line with the will of God. They're actually not going to be a part of it. He tells another parable in verse 33 about some tenants, wicked tenants, right, who kill messengers from the master and eventually kill the master's own son. And Jesus connects all of this to Psalm 118, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The beginning of Matthew 22, he tells the parable of a wedding feast, right? There were some who were invited, and they don't reply, and they're going to be left out, whereas others who are out in the highways and the hedges, they are invited to come and partake in the wedding feast of this King, He is teaching all over Matthew 22. There's questions about taxes to Caesars, uh, to Caesar, questions about the resurrection, questions about the greatest commandment. It, it leads up to in Matthew 22, verse 42, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, that, that's what this is all about, right? And then in Matthew 23, he begins pronouncing those woes against the scribes and Pharisees. All of this is going on in the temple. You can read all about that teaching, but it culminates in Matthew 23, verse 37, where Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Listen to this carefully. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, what house is he talking about? The next verse, he left the temple. And Roger, that at the beginning of chapter 24 creates a lot of questions. Well, it does. And, you know, the... The statements are strong. The parables are powerful here. And as Jesus leaves the temple and, and the disciples are seeing these this building, it's been there for 46 years. I mean, that's a lifetime. And they're thinking that this is just permanent. It's like a mountain. It, nothing can make it go down. This is always going to be here. And then Jesus says in verse 2, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And, and that's, you know, and that's all he says. And, you know, the questions ran through the mind, well, who's going to tear it down? Uh, where's God going to be to protect this? What's going to happen to that? Lots and lots of layers of questions here. Because what Jesus just did is, is just really pull the rug out of the Jewish faith and trying to get them to see that they need to see him as the Messiah, as the Christ, the one who's chosen. And this is something that they just had a hard time accepting. Yeah, Roger, you and I both have been blessed to be able to sit on the Mount of Olives 
and look across the Kidron Valley into the old city of Jerusalem. And that's exactly the context of verse 3. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? I think that last phrase especially is really important. I mean, these men, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, others like them that have been following Jesus for three years, they've seen some hard things, undoubtedly. They they have experienced some hard times, but never in their lifetime had something like this ever happened. And uh, Roger, you you brought up that, okay, it is a, a religious epicenter. For these people, it was the religious social epicenter, the economic epicenter. I mean, this would be like Washington, D.C. and New York City and the holiest places we can possibly imagine all being obliterated at the same time, right? Hard for us to imagine, but in their minds, Jesus, if you're describing this as happening, this must be the very end of the age. Absolutely. And and one of the things that uh, we got to keep in mind when we're reading uh, what the statements of the apostles to Jesus is uh, they were not where we are with all the Bible revelation yeah. yet. Yeah. And so so we're at the end of the story. We know how the story ends. We look back to the cross. We got this kind of figured out in our mind. For them, they hadn't had it all figured out. And, and so uh, the idea that Jesus was leaving uh, that was hard. To, they didn't really understand that, right. first of all. Uh, and I think that that's a, a paramount statement to understand is that, you know, we often talk about the second coming and the coming of the Lord, as we just read. Well, they, they knew that to be the second coming. I'm not sure if they didn't understand that. Uh, in, in Luke's account, Luke 18, Luke says in verse 31, he says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all these things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after that, they have scourged him and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise up again. But the disciples understood none of these <laughs> things. And so, so when he talks, when they ask that question about the coming, they didn't get the going. No. And, and I think that's significant. Now, you and I do. And you and I know where he was going. You and I knew three days later he's going to be raised. Now, he would say that. But a lot of these statements, and there's many more passages that kind of emphasize that concept, that they didn't have a full understanding. So when we come to difficult passages like Matthew 24, we've got to keep in mind what the first listeners, where they were and what they would have thought. And and sometimes that helps us to understand the true meaning because we, we look at it through our eyes or we look at it through American eyes and, and we got sometimes ideas that may not be true to the real story there. Well, and I think maybe as a, a good note to end on, that is something to highlight, that the goal of going back and studying passages like Matthew 24 is, of course, to try and get in their minds, understand why they're asking the questions they're asking, of course, to understand the words of the Lord Jesus, but also 
to make sure that when people around us talk about, well, this is how the world is going to end. These are going to be the signs. And, you know, the, this is what's going to happen, that we make sure we're not just taking somebody else's word for it, that we can point to book, chapter, and verse and understand that as the Lord is helping us to understand it. There's a lot of misconception that comes from Matthew 24, even about what we can expect today. Absolutely. So next week, we're going to start zoning in on Matthew 24. We're going to look at this through sections. We'll talk about the first section there, look at some of those questions, a little more detail, look at how the Lord responded to that. And then coming weeks, we'll kind of go a little bit deeper into Matthew 24. And if we have time throughout this little series, we'll cover Matthew 25, which follows. But but this is just introduction. And we kind of hope you'll be with us and stay with us and get your Bible out and Listen to this maybe a time and time again and, and put some notes in that Bible to yeah. help you remember these things. Yeah, Matthew 21 through 24 would be great to read over the course of the next week. And Lord willing, we'll pack, pick back up next Friday. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope it's helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven-bound, and the best is yet to come.